0: I'm Chris Sims.
1: And I'm Franco Terrazano.
0: And this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. In deep dive, we're going to give you all the details you need to know about the federal government's 2021 budget. Yes, sirree, it's actually happening. But first, take a seat. Put your coffee down, because we have to talk about some news that's going to make your blood boil. Franco, just say it. Give her.
1: Well... Conservative Party of Canada leader Aaron O'Toole just announced that if he becomes Prime Minister, he will impose his very own carbon tax. Yep. This is the same Aaron O'Toole that when he was running for leader of the CPC, he signed the Canadian Taxpayers Federation pledge to scrap the Trudeau carbon tax and not impose a national carbon tax of his own. But now, turns out he is gearing up to hammer Canadian families, Canadian workers, and Canadian businesses with his very own carbon tax. And if he goes through with this carbon tax, he will be breaking a huge promise that he made to millions of Canadians.
0: You know, I got the news uh, at like five in the morning out here and I actually couldn't believe it. I thought it was a mistake. Um, This is really disappointing. And it's stuff like this that makes people never trust politicians, and it makes them really cynical. You mentioned that he signed the Canadian Taxpayers Federation pledge to fight carbon taxes. He did that right alongside our federal director, Aaron Woodrick, in Ottawa, on camera, on video. Here's what the pledge said, and we think it's pretty unequivocal. Quote, I promise that if elected Prime Minister of Canada, I will immediately repeal the Trudeau carbon tax and reject any national carbon tax or cap and trade scheme." End quote. And here's a clip of what Mr. O'Toole said just before he signed the pledge.
2: So I actually have a plan to scrap the tax, so I'm happy to sign this right away. It's been my position consistently and to work with the provinces and collaborate on their plans to get emissions down over time and to work on sectors like transportation and others where we can find more efficient cost-saving ways that actually reduce emissions. I've been talking about this for several years, the only candidate in this race that has a detailed plan on how to do it and how to get pipelines built and our uh, country's economy back on track. So I have the blue pen. Absolutely. Do the honors. Yes, please do.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty clear.
1: Yeah, and you know what? That's not the only time that O'Toole rightly blasted the carbon tax. I mean, listen to what he said during this interview.
2: We're gonna eliminate the Trudeau carbon tax And show Canadians that the Ottawa knows best approach uh, for climate change or any issue is wrong we need to respect provincial uh, jurisdiction when it comes to the economy and, and decisions and wherever we can partner with them on emission reduction we will but a tax plan is just that it's a tax grab and we'll eliminate it
1: yeah did you hear that I mean a tax plan is just that it's a tax grab and we'll eliminate pretty cut and dry don't you think
0: We do. So, okay, Franco, give us the numbers. What kind of costs are we talking about here with the brand new Conservative Party of Canada carbon tax?
1: Uh, Well, O'Toole said that he would replace Trudeau's damaging carbon tax, but he said he would replace it with his very own carbon tax that it will eventually be capped at $50 per ton. Now, (laughs) for a little bit of context, a $50 per ton carbon tax would cost an extra 11 cents per litre at the gas pumps. And now that's more than what Trudeau's current carbon tax is right now, but it is less than the $170 per ton that Trudeau is gunning for by 2030. But you know what? Why should anyone believe O'Toole when he says that he's not going to increase the carbon tax beyond that $50 per ton mark? I mean, He just told Canadians that he would fight carbon taxes, and now he's flip-flopping and saying he'll put in a carbon tax of his own. So I think that Canadians have every right not to trust O'Toole on carbon taxes. And of course, of course, we can't forget that the Trudeau government once told us all that it had no intentions of increasing its carbon tax. And, well, we all know that was a lie.
0: Yeah, a really big one. And again, for context, that's what Trudeau said before the last federal election. No intentions of increasing his past 50, and then after the election... Bingo, up to $170 a ton. Out here in BC, they told us that it wouldn't go over $30 a ton and it would always be revenue neutral. Neither of those things is true. So forgive us for being ridiculously skeptical at this point. And for more context, that extra 11 cents per liter for gasoline, that will cost a family an extra eight bucks or so every time they fill up their minivan. But there's a big expensive extra catch here. O'Toole also said that he was going to keep Trudeau's second carbon tax, the so-called fuel standard, but the Conservative Party will actually modify it a bit to follow BC's example. (laughs) BC's second carbon tax out here, it adds another 14 cents to the price of gasoline, and we're at $45 per ton now for the first one, so let's do the math. Combined, the brand new conservative party carbon taxes will eventually be about 25 cents a liter. That means that it's going to cost you about 18 bucks extra every single time you fill up your minivan. And for those of you who are driving those light duty pickup trucks, that's going to be more than $30 extra for that pickup truck, plus GST, plus the cost of fuel. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about what the conservative government would do with that carbon tax revenue, if anything.
1: <laughs> okay, I need, to, I need to preface what I'm going to say here. I need to skip this up front. I think, and the CTF thinks, that Trudeau's carbon tax is awful, right? Mm-hmm. Don't get us wrong. It dries up the cost of living. It hammers families. It hammers workers and businesses. And Trudeau's carbon tax is a thinly veiled redistribution scheme. Mm-hmm. But at least under the current damaging carbon tax, some Canadians are actually getting some actual cash back into our bank accounts. But under Otulski you get tax at the pumps. Then the extra money that you pay goes into some type of low carbon savings account, whatever that's going to be. And then you get to spend the money on so-called green products that are on a government approved list. Now, naturally, a ton of questions emerge, right? Who in government decides what's green? Who decides what companies get to put their green swag into this points catalog? Will we need a swipe card every time we are at the gas station? What about home heating? I mean, to me, this sounds like it's going to be a complicated mess. Now, let me break this down even further to what it means for everyday life. Now, if you're a farmer in Saskatchewan, if you're a farmer in Alberta and you're getting hammered because your fuel prices are going to be going through the roof because of O'Toole's carbon tax to make sure that we all have food to put on our tables, well, not to worry, according to O'Toole, because you can just use your new O'Toole carbon tax bucks on buying a new solar-powered electric bike. Isn't that just dandy?
0: In the middle of the prairie. Right. Okay. So this sounds like it's going to be extremely complicated to administer. And of course, very paternalistic because they get to decide what's green and what's not. It also sounds super paternalistic and very complicated and I got it confirmed by the way this also hits home heating there's no exemption for home heating so now yeah it's awful frankly so now if they form government the government would get to pick what you do with your carbon tax punishment money instead of either letting you keep your own money in the first place by not taxing you in the first place or having a chance at least of getting some of the money back through a rebate so you can choose what to do with it. This is beer and popcorn on steroids, and I'm frankly surprised to see it coming from the Conservative Party. Nobody believes that Trudeau's rebates will keep coming at this rate in the long term, but at least they're cash. And it's just as hard to trust that O'Toole's green frequent flyer points program because it's not even cash. That was painful. Okay, look folks, at the end of the day, carbon taxes don't work they don't lower emissions. Out here in British Columbia, we have the dubious honor of paying Canada's highest carbon tax and emissions are still going up. Canada only makes up about 1.5% of global emissions. So making life harder for Canada's families, workers and businesses is not going to help the global environment. And there are other things we could do to help. Folks, there's still time to push back on the Conservatives especially if your member of parliament is on the blue team. Phone them, email them, give them an earful. Tell them to push back against this broken promise. Apparently, most conservative MPs found out about this huge carbon tax reversal on the news. So they might really like hearing from you on this. Ask them if they think that you should fork over 18 bucks extra for your minivan and 30 bucks extra for your truck. This fight is not over. And speaking of big taxpayer fights, let's check in now on the 2021 federal budget with Aaron Woodrick.
1: All right, everyone, it's time for Deep Dive, the part of the show that we take a closer look into the important issues facing taxpayers. And I have to start by saying, finally, 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 two years and counting. And folks, for a moment there, I wasn't sure we were ever going to see another one again, but we finally have a federal budget. And of course, we've got Aaron Woodrick to break it all down for us. So Aaron, what does the federal budget mean for taxpayers?
2: Well, Franco, uh, we all knew it was going to be bad. I'm not sure we thought it was going to be this bad. Uh, We knew the deficit was going to be massive and that the debt was going to be over a trillion dollars. But I think this may even be worse than we thought possible because of this reckless plan to permanently increase federal spending for years to come well after the pandemic is over uh, because the majority of the measures in this budget have absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19 and everything to do with exploiting what is a a terrible tragedy to just indulge in all the things uh, that they wanted to spend money on by borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars and spending it. Um, And that's why, you know, $100 billion per year in permanent increased spending within five years uh, and absolutely no idea how they're going to pay for any of it. Yeah.
1: and, And, you know, budgets are really, at the end of the day, supposed to be about tough choices, right? What can we afford? What can we not afford? What should we prioritize? What should we not prioritize? But the only choice this government seems to want to make is how many spending promises can it cram, 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 cram into a 700 page plus budget. But you know before I, before I get my own blood pressure pumping and keep ranting down this rabbit hole, Aaron, let's talk about some of the key stats that taxpayers need to know.
2: I can do that, but I don't know if it's going to help your blood pressure. I mean, if you look at the deficit, uh, it came in at 354 billion. Uh, that's, uh, I guess better than the projected 383 billion. So it means that the deficit's only 11 times bigger than the previous budget instead of 12 times bigger. Um, and the debt is a trillion dollars. That's a trillion with a T or a thousand billion dollars, a lot of money. And don't forget there's interest that we have to pay on that. Uh, but looking forward, you know, even five years out, 2026, Deficit's still going to be $30 billion, and by then, the interest payment on that debt is going to be a whopping $39 billion every year. So, Minister Freeland really betting the house on uh, the assumption that interest rates are going to stay low forever, because if they don't, uh, we're going to have a real problem with our fiscal sustainability.
1: Yeah. And you know, you're talking about all this big spending and, and one of the key announcements within that budget that's going to be raising spending is that $30 billion childcare program, which is based on Quebec's childcare scheme, which we have touched on uh, in in a previous podcast episode. But um, Aaron, can you break down what that $30 billion federal government childcare program means and just kind of what your overall thoughts are on that announcement?
2: Well, my thought is that it's very interesting that a government that uh, in 2019 didn't even dream about spending $30 million on childcare when the deficit was $20 billion. suddenly if fast forward to today, the deficit's $354 billion and they're running around insisting that they absolutely have to spend $30 billion on childcare. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's also interesting that this is their marquee promise, you know, 30 billion over five years for, for national childcare. Uh, they're spending five times as much over five years on interest payments on debt alone, $150 billion. So it's hard to see how that money uh, for childcare is a lot of money and yet five times as much on debt interest is, is something that they don't want to talk about.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, you know This Trudeau government, it just seems like it only has one solution to everything. And it's just spend, 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 borrow, borrow, borrow. Um, but remember folks, when we talk about affordability, I mean, it is determined by two things. The first is how much that, that thing costs. But the second is how much money people actually have in their pockets, right? People's wealth. Um, but by taking less money, Out of a family's pockets in the first place, the government would be able to improve affordability in all aspects of life, including child care. Um, And, you know, I know there's a lot in this budget that we have to sink our teeth into and that we can digest. But Aaron, there was one thing in that budget that really irks me, and it was that venture capital fund.
2: Yeah. You know, this is a strange idea. The whole idea of venture capital is supposed to be high risk. And so the people, you know, doing the venture capital funding and picking who gets the money, they, they got a lot of skin in the game, right? So they want to make sure that they're going to get their money back. This is government venture capital. So you're going to have high risk investments made by people who stand to lose nothing, Um, if the thing goes sideways. So it's a terrible idea, $450 million, almost half a billion. And it's just one out of dozens of examples about ways that the government is wasting money on stuff that has nothing to to do with uh, COVID-19.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look at this government's track record, right? I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say based on the track record here that that politicians in Ottawa, bureaucrats in Ottawa, they couldn't even balance the budget of a lemonade stand. And now they want to go around running around pretending to play venture capitalists with our tax dollars. And, and, you know, the feds have already spent billions and billions of dollars during COVID-19. We definitely don't need any more so-called economic stimulus spending. The feds, they can help the economy, but to do that, they should be lowering taxes and letting families keep more of our own money in our pockets so that we can spend at local shops, let businesses keep more of their own money so that they can help get their employees back to work. And of course, speaking of taxes, Aaron, are there any tax hikes that we need to know about in the budget?
2: Well, first I want to remind people that the Prime Minister promised Canadians that he wasn't going to raise taxes, but I don't want you to take my word for it. I want to let the man speak for himself, so have a listen to this clip from last summer. So will taxes be going up then? No. Uh, The last thing Canadians need uh, is to see a raise in taxes right now. Millions of Canadians are out of work and looking for work. The economy is still uh, nowhere near uh, where we need it to be. Uh, We have work to do and we are not going to be saddling Canadians with extra costs. Now, in spite of that pledge to not increase costs on Canadians, guess what we see in this budget? There is a raft of new taxes and tax hikes. There's higher tobacco taxes. There's a new vaping tax, uh, sales taxes on digital services. So you'll pay GST on your Netflix. There's a luxury goods tax. So if you're thinking of buying a yacht, you know, he's going to come after you there. Um, and of course, we can't forget they just raised alcohol taxes, the carbon tax is going up. They're introducing a second carbon ta- tax on top of the existing one. Um, it is, uh, is an endless parade of, of nickel and diming you with taxes. And, and look, um, this, this whole budget, um, it is endless uh, deficits. And they don't, they don't want to raise taxes now because there may be an election coming. But make no mistake, if they, uh, if they keep up at the pace they're going, uh, it's taxpayers that are going to pay the price in the end.
1: Well, aren't you just a little ray of sunshine? <laughs> do you have do you have any any good news for taxpayers here?
2: You know, I struggled. I, I I dove deep into this 700 page document, and I did come up with one thing. There's one good thing in there. They uh, they made a commitment to cut back bureaucrats' travel going forward. So they're going to try and save some money by making sure that bureaucrats aren't uh, aren't flying around the country. So that's that's what I'm going to have to hang my hat. Oh,
1: great. Isn't that fantastic for us taxpayers? Hey, throwing, do we consider that throwing us a bone? I don't think so. But hey, let's end there on that tiny little bit of good news. Um, but folks, don't worry. We are going to have a lot more to say about this budget and the federal government's finances in the future. So stay tuned for that. And honestly, folks, we need all. Canadian Taxpayers Federation supporters and network to help us fight back against what is going on right now. You know, we're really going to need all hands on deck to bring Canada back to fiscal sanity. So please get ready to get engaged and fight back against all this big government spending. And before we transfer you over to WasteWatch, we do have a bit of, hmm, should I call it a little bit of sad news? Uh, for us here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And it's because our federal director, Aaron Woodrick, my buddy, Woody, he's going to be moving on. He's going to be going somewhere else. Um, And, you know, he's been with us, it seems like 100 years now, but I think it's only been six. But he's been leading the charge for us. He has been leading the charge across Canada, pushing for lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I don't think anyone has done it better than Aaron over the last six years. And, you know, from uh, us communications directors. He, he's really kind of been like a, um, really a mentor. He's really been our team captain. You know, I've been here for the last two and a half years and, and Aaron has been the guy that I always go to when I have any questions. Um, and he's really, he's really been a leader for us. So uh, at least for me, it's going to, it's going to be sad to see him go. Um, and just for, for all our listeners out there, I will have the pleasure, uh, to, to, to be, taken on the federal role. So I know I have some huge, huge shoes to fill. Um, But Aaron, I just want to say, man, we we wish you all the best of luck in your new, uh, your new adventure.
2: Thanks so much, Franco. That's really kind of you. It's been a great run and I want to thank all CTF supporters. Couldn't do it without you. It's been an honor and a privilege. And uh, I will still be around out there. Stay tuned. I'm, I'm sure I'll be up to some interesting stuff and I'll always be a supporter and fan Of this very important organization which does so much uh to fight for for everyday taxpayers
1: all right with that we'll throw you over to waste watch thanks woody it's time for waste watch i'm
3: todd mckay i'm here with uh, james wood our investigative journalist to talk about the dumb things the governments are doing with your money usually we make fun of politicians for spending too much money When they travel somewhere, I think this might be the first time we're making fun of somebody for spending too much money and then not actually going somewhere.
4: James, what's going on here? Yeah, so this one was a silly one. Uh, The feds spent close to one hundred and forty thousand dollars for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to not go somewhere. Okay,
3: that's a lot of money, even if you are going somewhere.
4: It's an awful (laughs) lot
3: of money if you don't go somewhere. Yeah. So fill in the blanks here, man. What's happening?
4: Okay. so as some folks might remember, back in February 2020, before COVID-19, before everything went completely nuts, uh, Trudeau was on a world tour. He was running around Germany and Ethiopia. He was pumping up Canada's bid for a seat on the United Nations Security Council. Just a temporary seat, mind you. He just we really wanted that during the trip, though things are going a bit sideways over here. There are rail blockades that were springing up across the country. And there are calls for Trudeau to cut his trip short and come home and deal with the problem.
3: Yeah, I remember that. At the time, it felt like a crazy time. In hmm. the in the pandemic context, that seems like a much simpler time. Yeah. But it was crazy. We had those blockades, a lot of important issues there, a lot of people's livelihoods uh, on the line with that situation. The prime minister cuts short his trip, flies home, doesn't actually fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of, you know, pontificates on it. But that last leg of the trip was supposed to be in Barbados. That's what I recall. Always nice when you can end a world tour in February in Barbados. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that was just a funny coincidence. So so what <laughs> happened there?
4: Yeah, the, the key word there is that the last leg of the trip was supposed to. As things are getting crazier here, he cut his trip short. February 15th, he flew back to Ottawa, didn't end up going to Barbados.
3: Okay, so the prime minister doesn't go to Barbados. Now, when you cancel a trip, usually, like, there are some costs, some cancellation costs in play, but, you know, usually you get some airline credits or something. It's not that big a deal, <laughs> West right? Street points. Yeah, yeah, usually it kind of evens out a little bit. How in the world does the bill still come in this big?
4: Yeah, like you'd think it'd be a simple fix. PM isn't going to Barbados to talk about how Canada's back, so there shouldn't be a massive bill. Wrong. Instead of Trudeau, then Foreign Affairs Minister Francois Philippe Champagne, sorry Francois Philippe Champagne was sent instead for one day. There was some brief news coverage of him talking to Caribbean leaders about how wonderful Canada is, and that was it. Flight records from the Challenger fleet show Champagne flying in for one day and leaving the next. Okay,
3: so this was a silly trip to start with. Prime Minister can't go. But instead of just saving the money, Champagne gets a free trip to Barbados for a day. Well, how did he actually spend $140,000?
4: Yeah, I'll embed the whole chart into the online story, but the quick summation, the bills included over $4,000 in staff flight costs, over $15,000 in vehicle rentals, and over $75,000 in hotel service costs, Never mind the cost of the Challenger flight, which got him there and back, which hasn't been disclosed yet. I'll be pulling that. And again, all these costs are linked to a trip that Trudeau bailed on and Champagne was only there for one day. So it's
3: and it was a silly trip to start with.
4: Yeah. So here's okay. We got to
3: pause here, people. So it's 140 grand, not including the cost for the private jet. So I haven't taken any vacations with a with a private jet, but I'm pretty sure if you do, that's a big chunk of the cost. This 140 thousand dollars doesn't even include
4: the the private jet that flew the uh, foreign affairs minister down there. No, it, it doesn't. And like the final question with all this stuff, how did it all end up uh, helping Canada get a temporary Security Council seat? The answer, not one bit. <laughs> we came in dead last. Ireland came in first, while Norway was second and we were third. The bigger picture, we spent $2.4 million on this failed campaign. You know, this one's incredible. If we'd have spent
3: $2.4 million and won... And got a temporary seat at the UN Security Council, it still probably would have been a waste of time. It's mostly a a vanity project for the prime minister anyway. But we didn't even come close to getting the seat. We finished third out of three. It was an absolute debacle and waste of money.
4: Yeah, yeah, it it didn't go well. And and of course, that $2.4 million number, it doesn't include staff time. It doesn't include a complete accounting of all the travel costs, and it doesn't include the actual fine details of what that money was going towards. So it could be $2.4 million of complete nonsense. It's likely that $2.4 million figure would only go up as those more as more numbers come out. And to that point, I've got access to information requests pending to get more details.
3: Yeah, those access to information requests are key. So the government discloses some of this stuff. I think it probably won't surprise people to say uh, to find out that the government uh, doesn't disclose much Mm. and they don't make it easy to find. That's why James uses legislation to uh, to dig that stuff out, make the requests, force them to release this stuff. So everybody stay tuned. I think there's going to be more on this story. Uh, if you want to know more about this part specific part of it check out taxpayer.com in the show notes but stay tuned I'm pretty sure we're going to have more of this in the future
1: All right folks that was the show hope you enjoyed it but before we let you go let's uh, let's talk about the mailbox all the mail that we've been getting this past week Now I had something that has never happened to me before someone criticized me of being a quote bloated government supporter huh. <laughs> Never have I ever. Simmer, what do you got for us?
0: That's pretty good. You know, if you're hitting it from both sides, that you're doing a good job. That's a, a good rule of thumb. I actually, uh, in context of what happened with the announcement of the brand new Conservative Party carbon tax, I've been getting tons of messages from Ottawa. Uh, and one of them, a lifelong Conservative staffer type person, said, This looks extremely goofy and really expensive. Yep. Yeah, amen. aiming on both elements yeah for sure so hey folks if you want lower taxes less waste and more accountable government and pledges and all that stuff be sure to share this with your friends because we need a big standing army to push back on this stuff catch you next week
2: I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favour and do them a favour and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.